0: All right. Um, well, it is Christmas week. Uh, Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. All right. So it's Luke chapter 1. Uh, we are exploring some classic texts Luke 1 and 2. Uh, Christmas Eve, we will have uh, songs and carols and, and scripture reading, and we will be exploring more of these familiar, familiar texts. So, Mary's prayer, Mary's response. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel uh, has uh, announced to Mary, there's a change in your life coming your way. And now we have recorded for us these deep reflections of Mary. Deep reflections of Mary. Uh, she says in verse 46, My soul magnifies God. All that I've heard about my future life, the one whom I will carry, my soul magnifies the Lord. Right here we have the, the orientation of Mary's heart. We, we sense how she's been thinking. We, we get the deep currents of her life. And uh, she's had deep needs. Deep needs that can only be satisfied by God. Deep needs that can only make sense uh, or be fulfilled if God comes through. And the central issue of her prayer, the central theme of her prayer is quite remarkable. Um, It's not about her rights. It's not about her expectations in life. Um, It's not about what she is owed by God. The central theme of her prayer is God's mercy and her response to God's mercy. And only God can set things right in this world. That's really the, the sermon in a sentence. Only God can set things right in this world. And Mary has been living, however young she is, she has a, she's a deep thinker. She's been living in a, in a place where looking out she sees a world that is in trouble and in darkness and, and there needs to be a great reversal, a great reversal those who are on the thrones and those who are in power and those who are wealthy and not using their wealth for God's purposes. There needs to be a great reversal. Those who are overlooked, oppressed, marginalized, they need to be remembered. And the announcement that she will bear the Christ child is the great reversal she's been looking for. is great? And as I looked over this text, I began to see some themes developing. For instance, God really is in control. Probably one of the single most pastoral issues I have uh, heard from people over my years as a a pastor, where people want to know and to experience the truth that God is in control of their life. A theme that comes out of this is God is in control. Uh, And then God has authority to bring this uh, about. God has authority to put this plan into, into action. And then another theme was interesting is that God is present. God is present with His people. And as I began to think about these three categories, I began to think, wait a minute, this reminds me of three categories of a, a present-day theologian named John Frame. And John Frame is unique in that he is always thinking in threes. So if you ever hear a, a, a lecture from John Frame or read a book of John Frame's, you will always have him say, well, there's actually three things going on here. And you'll see triangles in his books. And he has, it's called multi, multi-perspectivalism. How about that? So John Frame has three things that relate to God and how we experience God. And here they are. We experience God in his lordship in a certain way, that he is in control, he has authority, and he is present. So I want to use that template from John Frame and drop it down on Luke 1, 46 through 55, and drop that template down. Control, authority, and presence. And let's see how this, uh, see how this works. Whenever we encounter God, you are encountering him as Lord. There's no other way to encounter God. There's no other way to experience God. You are always encountering him as Lord. Even people who don't know Jesus Christ are encountering God right now as Lord. Uh, Through creation, God has a covenant with his world. And you cannot live as a human being without encountering that creation covenant. So if you violate some aspect of what it means to be a human being God uh, through his uh, displeasure will let that person know Uh, they will live with a sense of guilt they will live with a sense that God is not with them or for them we are always living in covenant with God now Mary's prayer is a prayer connecting to the deep thinking that goes along with covenant thinking and uh, she she 's acknowledging that God has made us to be covenant creatures, dependent on God to act, to be Lord to to work in this world. key to, key to John frame 's thought is that God always is experienced as Lord. He is never less than Lord in all that he does, and in the New Testament what 's interesting is the lordship of God is being restored to us. So when you read your New Testament, really what's going on there is, this is what it looks like to be, for Jesus to be Lord. This is what it looks like for you to respond to his authority. Here's why his presence is important. In other words, you could take those themes and just do a marvelous uh, 2014 study of the Bible. Control, authority, and presence. And you'll experience the restoration of God's lordship in your life. For instance, 1 Corinthians 10.31, 1 Corinthians 10.31, somewhat of a, somewhat known among, among Christians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay. So however you are living your life, and there's a lot of freedom there, um, the Bible doesn't tell you how many hamburgers to eat, Uh, at Teddy's Burgers. But be careful, because at one point, even eating a hamburger can be breaking a covenant. How about that? See, Paul's saying that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, realize you've been made for covenant with God. Realize that God's lordship matters in how you eat a hamburger. Now, I tend to resist this, and I'll have more hamburgers than I should. But whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do everything recognizing God's lordship over you. Now, that is what it means to be a Christian. We're all recovering from an anti-lordship stance of the heart. That's what's going on right here in our worship service. We are recovering from this anti-lordship stance of the heart. We live in a world of whatever. Whatever, man. In other words... Nothing matters. That's translated uh, sort of hipster speak. Nothing matters. Whatever. Meaning there is no anything out there that I'm supposed to conform my life to. Biblically speaking, not quite. You can never escape God's presence. You can never escape the covenant that you were born into. So Mary is expressing, I think, well... um, these thoughts that John Frame just caught up to later, uh, control, authority, and presence. This is what she's glorifying God for. This is what she's excited about. So, um, first, let's, let's look at, uh, for instance, let's look at control for a moment. Control, all right? Uh, verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's her response to bearing the Christ child. He who is mighty, like the God of the Exodus, who came with his mighty power against Pharaoh and did a great, mighty work delivering his people, now the great and final Exodus is the work of his deliverance of his people through the Christ. So he is controlling over Mary's body, Uh, working his good purposes in her body. He has brought his control into a uh, direct um, oversight of the world down to the very details of what's happening inside Mary's body. So John Frame says, control means God has the right to direct the whole course of nature and history as he pleases. God has the right to control all of nature and history as he pleases. So lordship is experienced as God's control. Control through here a miracle. So God is not waiting around for the normal way children come into the world. He is intervening in miracle to make his good plan happen. Now, miracles are not on every page of the Bible. But they happen at key moments in God's big plan. God has, in verse 52, brought down, in past tense, Mary's already praying in past tense, brought down the mighty from their thrones. His control of the future and judgment day will bring that about. So control also implies authority. God has might, but he also has authority right. The might is God's control and the right is God's authority. So those who are high and mighty in our world today, those who are hoarding their riches and not uh, serving God's purposes with these things, with these, with these, with these blessings, those who are prideful, um, believe at their heart, that they don't ever have to respond to the authority of God, or God doesn't have authority over uh, the, the, the thoughts of their heart. And Mary's, Mary's saying, uh uh-uh, uh, that, that isn't how the world works at all. God probes deep into the heart, God knows the thoughts of man, God knows the prideful, and it is right here that He will bring His authority, His moral authority. To make things right. A great reversal is going to happen. So control and some implications for our lives. Well, when we think about Mary's prayer as a great reversal of things, a great change is going to take place. God is going to set the world right through Jesus Christ. Well, one of the most amazing things about how we experience this reversal is... God is the offended party, and we are the offenders, and God comes and does a great reversal. He becomes humble and is born into this world in order to redeem us. He controls history to make atonement. He comes with control over our lives, and he brings us to saving knowledge. You see, you're in this room listening to this message right now because God exerted his loving control over you and he didn't let you go. He has ultimate control over those who are in power. And there are a couple of things that we should sort of take away from this idea of control, a few implications for our lives. First of all, I, I've, I've spoken about this a couple of different times um, I think, that, I think that the Christian gospel is a great uh, secret that anyone can read if they want to read, read about it. The secret is this, is that um, those who never make the cover of Time magazine or the most influential people of 2013 or never make the splash in the media, um, those who are overlooked – forgotten, don't matter. Those are the ones through whom God will work to actually change the world. And as you look at your Bible, you should start grinning. Once in a while you should smile and maybe even laugh. Um, here's Here's the idea, is that here is this unknown woman who, who would never be known to any of us unless God did this and Luke recorded this. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of smile that comes over people who sort of get this and say, this is, un, this is quite remarkable. The world and all its systems, the world and all its attempts, the world and all its ideologies, the world and all its kingdoms, the world and all its philosophies, the world and all its, it's, it's, its, and keep going, keep going. None of it's going to last. None of it. Even our country, and I say it as a patriot, none of it is going to last. And we have this humble servant of God in a nowhere backwater town praying a prayer, and that prayer is going to that prayer is going to happen that that song of 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 praise from this nobody this no no one knows who she is is going to be is going to be the final word about the world itself and this should bring a little like this is like this is interesting God brings us into these secrets that the secret is that he uses the unknown he uses small uh, unnoticed people, and he brings about great change and you can follow this theme throughout the Bible um, and I won't take time to do that, but just to you can begin to see that there there God uses largely unknown uh, people to bring about great things um and this this should this should one task that comes about if we're really going to take god's control seriously is to become students of it. Mary is a student of her Bible Mary is a theologian she is well versed and we should become we should become a, a more well versed in the great themes of the Bible. watch how God shows he is in control watch how he takes desperate situations and then just one turn one person one some act of god and then and then it all it's all different this is really quite remarkable if you think about how the old testament ends it ends with just this what next these people who are barely held together that we call them israel it just the old testament just kind of ends and everyone's exhausted and nothing is really put together, and there's this temple that's kind of functioning and not functioning, and there's people who exist, uh, but they're barely hanging on. And then you have this small, tiny band of people that are called the remnant, the faithful ones who were waiting for this moment and Messiah to come. And just this, this small, ragtag group of people begin to express but he came through right at this most dire moment. So become students of the grand sweep of the Bible. And what would it be like for us to know this this God who does great reversals, this God who is in control, this God who is in control? What would it be like for us to believe this when we are tempted to be angry? What would it be like for us to remember this when we are deeply disappointed in our moment, our circumstance? What would it be like? What would it be like for us in that moment to laugh a bit and to say, oh, I get it. Wait a minute. I remember. (laughs) It's okay to be desperate. It's okay to have come to the end of my rope. Of course, this is where God meets me. This is how God works. And of course he's going to be faithful. And I don't have to in an in an ungodly sinful way exert power over people. I don't have to exert power over my children. I can receive from God the great big plan. I don't have to exert power over my spouse. You see this is a this is a when when Mary prays in Luke 1, Luke 149, he who is mighty that's an orientation of the heart. That's really what Mary believed that. Mary walked around in her day, anticipating God to be mighty. Think about what her disposition might have been like, her temperament, who she was like as a person. I don't think she was always on edge. I don't think you walked in, in, with eggshells or, uh, on eggshells uh, around Mary. If someone takes that uh, and takes that to heart, he who is mighty, verse forty-nine. If they really believe that, I think they're they're going to be just a just a, a, a pleasant and wonderful person to be around, or at least at least someone that you could talk to, approachable. So those are those are some thoughts on on control, allowing us to be more forbearing. A greater exodus has happened than even the first one, and uh, the exodus that we have been part of being delivered from sin and death and satan wow he he is mighty so that's some that's some ideas on control now how about some ideas on authority let me finish the quote from from john frame here control means god has the right to direct the whole course of nature and history as he pleases and now authority authority means he has the right to do that I, th- I have to admit that this is probably where I struggle. I think this may be where you struggle. Who of us are going to argue, you know, God's in, of course God's in control. I don't think I've ever had a debate with anybody in the church about that. In fact, I don't even think non-Christians would argue that. Yeah, sure, who am I to go up against God? Okay, sure. But what about authority? Can God really, can God really, can God come and, Draw a line in the sand and create moral authority for us. This is really quite remarkable for us in our time, the time in which we live now. Observe that, first of all, Mary doesn't object to this. And that's one of the keys to God's authority is that it's received without question. If God said it, it must come from the best possible motive and I must receive it. God has the right to implement his kingdom plan any way he ordains. And if God decides on a course of action, it cannot be but proceed from pure holiness. God desires for us to rightly interpret our world and our circumstances, and he has given us his word, and we have his word backed with his authority. This really is true and good for you. And we can rightly interpret how we're to respond to difficult things and hard things because he has spoken. Mary, it would make sense that she would be completely rocked by this news, completely thrown off. Mary has a life, and doesn't she have aspirations and things she wants to do? And was she expecting this? She certainly wasn't. But she doesn't respond to God's authority to do this begrudgingly. She actually is praising God. God is authorized, and she enthusiastically embraces the whole idea. So, some examples of how she accepts God's authority He is able to scatter the proud in their thoughts. Verse 51 He is mighty. Uh, And he is able to take out those who are mighty on their thrones. And he has a right to do it. He is coming after those who oppress people. And he's going to set the world right. Those who live as if there is no God. And this can be religious people. It can be irreligious people. They are going to experience God's authority to bring justice. Justice. Now we're a long way from a Hallmark card here, aren't we? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, Oh, the whole idea of Advent and Christmas, how different it is. The themes of the Bible are very, very different than those things that are popular right now. The mighty are brought down from their thrones, 52. The hungry are filled with good things. The implication is... God is authorized to bring about his moral rule to the world. And here's the key implication Conform while there's time. While there's still the day that we call today. Conform while there's time because the authorized one is coming. Stage one the birth of Christ, the death, resurrection, and ascension. That's stage one. Stage two is coming. Christ is already authorized as Lord and judge. And stage two is on its way. God has the right. So, um, I just think, and sort of repeat myself here, um, how is it that this text still preaches? I know you're familiar with this text. How, How does it still work? It works because Mary doesn't question God's right to do this it works because God has authority over her life and she finds comfort in that she's not afraid of that she is good with it in fact she welcomes it with great full-hearted soul singing so Jesus and authority what a huge subject of course, Jesus identifies himself as Lord. That's a major theme. And he has power, and he shows through action and words, words backed up by action, that he can claim and is Lord. He raises the dead, casts out demons, calms the wind and the sea, heals the sick. And he has authority when he speaks. And some encountered just his words and believed him accepted his authority. One of the key aspects of his authority, the central ministry he wanted to get across in his parables and his encounters with people is that he had the authority to forgive sins. Mark chapter 2, one of the key moments. The man ushered down from the roof in front of the Pharisees there in the front row And he healed the man in order to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. So, Jesus' parting command to the disciples and to the church, Matthew 28, 19. Before we get to the Great Commission, go into all the world. Prior to that, verse 20, verse 19, All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given unto me. All authority. So, authority... And obedience go hand in hand. Jesus, of course, encountered people who didn't understand that. They seemed to use the term Lord, but they didn't quite get get the connection between authority and obedience. And so in Luke 6, we have Jesus saying, why, or asking the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So when we encounter the word of God, we are encountering God as Lord of his word, authorized as Lord over our lives. So now nothing more clearly uh, demonstrates Mary's stance toward her Lord than this prayer. She bows to the very one she has within her she embodies what every true person excuse me what every what, what will what will be true of every person in Philippians 2:9 at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father so a couple of implications for authority in our lives i want you to imagine praying and here's here's a couple of prayers just see if this works lord do with my life what is best for your plan for you know what is best so i freely yield myself to your authority uh huh that's good for church isn't it that'll that's, that works for a sermon man that that i'm i'm up here i'm f- reflecting on that lord i am i am good with whatever direction my life may take how about this one lord if you reveal yourself to me from your word i will listen i will receive your word as authorized from heaven to me i won't question it i'll be i'll be i'll be a humble servant who am i to come up with something better Now, those are pretty simple responses to the authority of God, right? But actually, uh, it's hard for us to actually claim that we understand lordship unless we are like that at our heart level. You see, God doesn't just have authority over us. Are you ready? He has absolute authority over us. And He has authority over us two ways. He made you Therefore, he can tell you to do anything because it comes from a good place and and sheer holiness, and he's your creator. Keep that one. And he has another way that he's authorized, absolutely authorized. He's your redeemer. So everything, this is John Frame. This This is quite remarkable. John Frame saying, everything in scripture comes to us as authoritative communication. I want you to dwell on that. Everything comes to us. Scripture comes to us as authoritative communication. And Scripture claims our thoughts and decisions. To miss this is in one sense to miss everything. For to miss, the lordship, for to miss this is to miss the lordship of Yahweh and the lordship of Christ Christ. Well, what is life in the church? Well, a flawed church. um, A church that's at times too human and too, you know, dysfunctional. What's it like? Well, it's to believe that God has authorized the church to have a significant role in your life. and And God has authorized people to speak into your life. Because God loves you. And he's not going to let you go. And he wants you to grow in sanctification. So this leads us then from control to authority to now presence. Control, authority, and presence. Well, verse 54, Mary connects with one of the great worldwide covenants, the Abrahamic covenant. And look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Well, what did what did God promise to Abraham? Well, land and descendants. Usually when you think about back in Genesis 12, 15 and 17, mostly those are about land and descendants. But one of the key aspects of God's promise to Abraham is through you Abraham I'll bless the world. Through one man, I'll bless the world. And of course, God is ultimately speaking about the Christ who would come, a descendant of Abraham, and all the nations, all peoples will be blessed and find this fulfillment. The promise will find fulfillment. And what is it to be blessed by? What does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, the central blessing of Eden was God was in the midst of it, it wasn't about pears and apples. The central blessing of Eden was God was in the midst of his people. And what happens in sin is that God is removed from the presence of people who are rebels. And the whole flow of your Bible is about God in his mercy is willing to become again at the center of his people, blessing his people with his presence and so your, your Bible is all about this great reversal of sin and what it has done so that God is now in the midst of his people again. And, of course, now you connect with things that are... I'm thinking of all these pipes going back to way back in Genesis and going all the way up to Matthew, like Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered together in my name. What's the promise? There I am in their midst i think that's the king james sorry about that but uh that's only because we don't read too much the king james today but there i am in their midst i am with you the great commission matthew 28 i am with you even unto the end of the age that's the abrahamic covenant that means i am with you the nations i am going to bless you with my presence in the midst of my people it's great stuff and so one of the big themes of Advent, and we tend to we sort of t- tend to miss this, is Matthew one twenty three: You shall call his name Emanu- uh, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, of course, translated Emmanuel, uh, meaning that God is with us. Right? The, the, the theme of God with us is central to Advent. So Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's presence. In Jesus, The manifestation of God's presence is without measure. So, uh, may you experience that, not only individually, not only with your family around the kitchen table, but may you experience that when we gather as a church. There is something going on. I can't fully explain it, but when God's people gather together, it it is manifestly different deeper, richer, because He is present in a way that is different than other times when He is present with us. So, what would it look like? Just a few implications um, if God is present with us. Well, one key thing is, and I think this comes from Mary, there's just a calmness. There's just a peace. Mary is content. She knows God is with her. She, she, she knows that the great promises of God are culminating in, her, in the son that she will have. And she's connected to him. And she's connected to God. And it is all good. God's presence. And in the most difficult times of our life, we think of the many promises God has for us when we are suffering and experiencing difficulty that his presence his presence with us comes with comes with sweetness we experience his lordship not as some stern judge not as some god who is transcendent just controlling all things which is wonderful and important and good we experience him as imminent with us connected to us so one of the just key implications of this is simply this that we should experience more peace in our lives pursuing uh, uh, having been so well pursued by God alright let me wrap this up control authority and presence did that work did you see it there in Luke uh, 1 well if I didn't some of you will tell me that's alright Control, authority, and presence. What does it look like? What do these things do in Mary? They make her sing. They make her sing. If a person doesn't eat, we'd say there's something wrong with them. and We'd try to get them help. If a person doesn't sleep, they may be anxious. We want to get them some help. But if a person never sings, do we think something's wrong? Hmm. Do you know the Bible is full of singing? Advent is full of songs. If a person never sings, there is something wrong. The human being, the human soul was meant to sing. And in the early Advent recordings and depictions and stories... There are songs, songs, and the church has sung. The church has sung in dark moments. The church has sung in trying moments. The church has sung in desperation. The church has sung in protest to what's going on in the world. The church is a singing church. And I'll tell you, in my own limited experience in this world, the people who didn't have a lot of things the people who only had divine plans and presence and had great hope was the inner city black church. And they could sing. They'd sing so loud you couldn't hear your voice. And they would sing. What were they holding on to? Political plans had failed them. Ideas from the culture had not supported them. And why do they sing so hard and so loud and so beautifully? Because they can only hold on to the divine plans for them, and they know Jesus is with them, and they give thanks to God for that. My experience with the black church when I was in college in, in uh, southeast Los Angeles was that they sang to God because he was their final and only hope. And the church rightly told them and instructed and trained them in that truth. And they received it without question. So, we who sing about what? What do we sing about? Well, maybe you find yourself humming a tune when you've saved some time today. That's a big activity today, isn't it? All the apps we download on our smartphones. We're going we're gonna to save time. Does saving time make you sing? How about when you achieve something? Does that make, make you sing? It's good to achieve things. Is that what you sing and live for, live to sing for? Living fast, on the go, when you're efficient, when you're driven, when you're getting stuff done. Does that make you sing? When you're involved in endless... Practical activity. Does that make you sing? Or do you sing because God's divine plans have intersected in your life? Do you sing because he is your only hope and everything else is just a big distraction and fake out? There is no final hope in efficiency or in time-saving or even making the most of this life. There's no hope in that. And in this moment, we have this servant girl of God who receives without question what God's plans are for her life. And she can't imagine anything else for her life. That's why we're still preaching about Mary and we will preach about her for years to come. This text throws us off. Right when we said there was no one in control, God puts on human flesh and shows us through the servant Mary that it is good that God is in control. And right when we said, I am my own authority and my standards rule the world, God announces that the one who has absolute authority over our lives is to be born into our world. We are thrown off. But can we sing? Right when we said, I will find my own comfort, I'll find my own meaning, I'll find my own significance, God reminds us that he is ever-present through his Son, and we cannot run from his presence God reminds us that he is merciful to us and he gives us what we need though we would have turned away from it. His presence is near to the broken and the contrite. You see, what Advent signals is this. It signals to us that God is unavoidable. He always has been and he always will be. And he comes expressing his control, authority, and his presence for our good because we've been made for this Lord and we can find no meaning and no significance and no life apart from this. May the beauty of God himself rest upon you. Let's pray. Lord, you have helped your